I don't believe that, that Rebecca uh, committed suicide. I believe she was the victim of a homicide as well. A true crime deadline exclusive. Mother of Max Shackney talks about her son's case and the mysterious death of Rebecca Zahau. Hi, Detective Atkins. It's Rebecca with Shackney regarding little Maxfield Shackney. Now I'm going to play you that voicemail that I just obtained of Rebecca just hours before she died. Buckle up, true crime investigators. You're on deadline. From the Hollywood Hills to your ear holes, this is True Crime Deadline, a podcast discussing cold cases, murder mysteries, and completely random thoughts. Now, here's your host, a man who stands in front of crime scene tape and talks on the TV box for a living, Mr. Mystery himself, Matt Johnson. All right, as the announcer man said, yes, I'm Matt Johnson, and wow, okay, so an unexpected part two of Mystery Deaths at the Mansion. The case of Rebecca Zahau and six-year-old Max Shackney both died under mysterious circumstances at the Coronado Beachfront Mansion back in 2011. Now, as you know, because I may have mentioned it once or twice, I covered this case from the very beginning. I covered it from my local news station, Fox 5. And I covered it for cable news, headline news, CNN, Fox, all of them. And the case, it has haunted me ever since. 32-year-old Rebecca Zahau was was found found bound and hanging from a... Six-year-old Max has died due to complications from a fall inside the home. Fox 5's Matt Johnson, he's there live now. Let's get you more from Matt Johnson from our um, affiliate KSWB in San Diego. So we dive into the case in episode one. And then shortly after that, I hear from Maxie's mom, Dina... Before we get into that interview, I want to recap this case for you. Rebecca Zahau is the girlfriend of millionaire pharmaceutical mogul Jonah Shackney. Rebecca, Jonah, and his son, Little Maxie, spending the summer in Coronado that year in 2011. Then on July 11th, there's a tragedy. Max found not breathing at the bottom of the grand staircase inside the mansion. Five days later, Maxie dies at the hospital. Now, the timeline here is critical because three days before that, Rebecca is found dead at the mansion. Her arms are bound behind her back. Her ankles are bound. There's a T-shirt around her neck, and she's gagged. And then there is a note on the door, a very cryptic message that says, She saved him. Can you save her? Uh, Dr. Dina Shackney, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Um, tell me a little bit about Max. Max. Uh, Max was my great love. He was an amazing boy. Uh, he and I were to make a, a perfect fit. He was funny and wise for his six years old. Um, great sense of humor and very loving and a very thoughtful boy. He played soccer and um, I had a girlfriend and had this amazing smile that lit up a room and there are so many photographs of him which show him smiling it's because he always was smiling and um i'll share one anecdote just before this happened in in coronado in 2011 we were on our way to the del coronado hotel we were walking and all of a sudden he sort of you know we're, we're by the beach and he turns around and he said he looked out at the sea the ocean and he said 
it's so great to be alive. And um, that, I think, that's a quintessential Max statement. So he's full of life and exuberant. He seems like a very special boy. Um, yes. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. It's been hard without him. And I know that the sheriff's department, they call it a closed case. Um, they've classified it as an accident. I was there for all that coverage. Um, but you say it's no accident. You call it a homicide. Talk to me about that. Um, well, it took me nine months after Max uh, died. I was pretty shocked at the uh, conclusions that the sheriff's department came to. Um, I hired Dr. Judy Melanick and Dr. Robert Bowe from Exponent, and they worked in tandem for nine months and produced two very thorough reports after um, visit both of them collectively or individually um, uh, visiting the medical examiner's office, reviewing records, and Dr. Robert Bowe took measurements inside the house. So they definitively just uh, their conclusion was that Max was the victim of a multiple assault scenario and homicide. And that's pretty significant, Dina, because, um, you know, in brief, talk about how renowned they are as experts. Uh, you know, Dr. Bove is very well credentialed. He, as I said, works for Exponent. They work on some of the major uh, crises here in the United States, such as the Oklahoma City bombing and the 9-11. So Exponent is well known for its biomechanical engineers. Um, he is a through, through and through a scientist and just relies on facts, data, numbers. He built an exemplar railing and uh, used the exact scooter to try to replicate what the sheriff's department had uh provided as an explanation it was just not possible judy melanick dr judy melanick is a uh, forensic pathologist who has quite a good reputation very fact oriented and they neither had any political agendas when we started this um, endeavor I, they told me they didn't know what they were going to find i said i don't know either i just simply want the truth um so it, they really worked you know without a preconceived notion which is what I wanted, um, as opposed to, I think, the sheriff's department, who really had a, a scenario that they wanted to uh, propagate from, the, from, I guess, the beginning. Why do you think that is? Well, it's an interesting question. Um, I don't know how they got there. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of potential reasons, how, and I really don't understand how they came to their conclusion, given the facts that we acquired over the, you know, those first nine months. I would say the very interesting point, the very salient point that is crucial and pivotal to this entire case, which has not been very widely publicized, I was told that Max had a heart attack. So this idea that um, there was any rancor or, or anger or any kind of feelings about uh, my, my feeling, even of my feelings toward Rebecca, is, is completely untrue and doesn't make any sense because... Since, given the fact that I thought Max had a heart attack, which is what Jonah told me, and which is documented in the medical records, there would be no reason for me to blame anyone, because who would blame someone who was watching a child who had a heart attack? So, what do you think happened to this beautiful little boy? What do you think happened to him? Well, I, I, after reading the reports from Drs. Melanick and Bove, I, you know, I, I was, you know, as a, as a clinician, um... And I have the academic background to review their their reports. I have the you know the wherewithal to understand what they were uh, their analysis. 
it was clear that it was a homicide and a multiple assault scenario means someone someone uh when you know it wasn't just one incident it was a multiple assault so it, this is what his the the um physical evidence on his body as well as the the mechanics of it all so it is highly possible that there was another party in the house that day on monday and i think most people assume that i thought or this is nine months later that i attributed that to rebecca but i have never said that and that's not the conclusion that i came to based on the injuries that i saw so who do you think hurt max like what scenarios do you have well i think that's been thus far completely ignored and not investigated. I think there are a lot of possibilities, but I and I, I, I think that it would be helpful and useful to speak to Zena Zahal. Um, I'm sure that she may be scared or might have been scared, but it would explain a lot, the idea that there was some other party in the house, um, you know, and it could, be, could have been related to Newton, a number of things, but that has been completely ignored and shut down. Okay, so now I want to play you guys this 911 call. So Zena and Rebecca are the only ones home at the time in the mansion, according to police, when 13-year-old Zena finds Max at the bottom of the stairs. She calls 911. Listen to this. Fire and medical emergency. Ma'am, tell the, tell the operator what's going on. Hello? Hello, um, my sister is trying to... Re- Yesterday, a, a, um, a boy. I'm sorry, she, she can't, can't breathe. She can't breathe? What's your address? Um, what's that? 1040 Ocean Boulevard. 1040 Ocean Boulevard? Yes. In Coronado? Yes. Okay, and you said what's wrong with her? She can't breathe? Yeah. How old is she? Um, six. She's six? Yeah. Okay, what happened to her? She fell down the stairs. She fell on the stairs? She fell on the stairs, you said? Yes. Okay, what's your name? Dina. Okay, so let's go back to that day when... Uh, so you're also vacationing in Coronado. I think um, what I remember, it's a couple blocks away. Is that right? Right, at, at, at the, the house in um, Coronado, about so, five blocks from the Sparkles house, yes. Right, so when you go and see your son over, I think it's Rady Children's Hospital in that area, you go see your son. Does his injuries look like someone that fell down the stairs? What's your What's your opinion on that? He was completely bandaged from, you know, head to toe, and he had a diaper on, which was very hard, very hard to see. So I didn't see any of the injuries that I later saw, um, you know, in at the, I guess, very end of the week and in the autopsy photos. I, I those weren't even readily apparent to me because he was he had so many bandages around him, and it was a shock. Um, but in my mind, in my heart. I completely, a thousand percent believe that Max would walk out of that hospital. It never crossed my mind that he would never. What's your interaction with Rebecca during this, during this difficult time for the family? Well, I didn't, I didn't have any interaction with Rebecca. Um, I was at the hospital for 
um, most of the time. So I know that my she picked up my sister from the hosp- from the from the um, airport on Monday um, and dropped my sister Nina off. Um, you know, uh, there was no rancor or anger or um, if anything, you know, I was told that she was there and that she gave Max CPR. So the whole notion and this whole sort of um, tale about there being this this anger intention is simply not not true. Uh, and I don't know really where people got that from. And I was so focused on Maxie as any mother would be. The last thing I would be thinking of is who to blame and why would you blame anyone if your son had a heart attack? If that makes no sense. If I had been told that this was an accident, then I would have asked Certainly, I would have asked many more questions, and I probably would have wanted to talk to Rebecca to find out, you know, what exactly had happened. But I was told it was a heart attack. So that's from that perspective, it's no one's fault. And, you know, one of my great regrets is that I didn't have the opportunity to speak to her. Um, and so there, you know, and, and the only thing I could think of was that how hard it must have been for her at the time to... Uh, be watching a boy who did have, a, you know, a heart attack. Something happened to him, even though she couldn't have done anything about it. That was my my mindset and my perspective at the time. Okay, so I do have to say this. Um, I, I really feel that you've been vilified a little bit in the media. Um, yeah. People run to their conclusions, especially after, you know, I see a lot of interviews with um, Rebecca's family and then Jonah Shackney, your ex-husband, and they kind of tell reporters that you and Rebecca didn't get along. I mean, is there anything that you want to say to that? I would. Um, I, you know, I, I wonder, it, it seems to be driven by a particular... Uh, uh, agenda. I would say that I saw Rebecca on Max's sixth birthday party. Um, she asked Nina and I to go out for a coffee um, after his party, and we couldn't because my mother was there. We were sort of watching over her during the, leading up to this time. She texted me several times, so she wanted to get together and talk. Um, we just didn't. We couldn't find that time. We on Mother's Day of that year, she actually sent me flowers and she helped to create or build a house for me from where, from which we actually got the name for Maxie's House, which is a nonprofit that I started in his honor to protect the emotional well-being and physical safety of children that live in two homes. But Rebecca and Max made that house together. So it's really an enigma why they would propagate such a story. I do also recall that the, uh, Memorial Day before this happened, Rebecca called me and wanted me to meet her sister Mary. Um, and I and I was happy to do so. I just left um, Phoenix a little late, so Mary was leaving the next day. So I, it's really surprising that that's that their their sort of uh, you know party line. It doesn't really make any sense to me. I can also recall inviting Rebecca to sit with us, to sit with me at soccer games when she was alone and Jonah was not present. And I believe in co-parenting. It's one of the, I hold that tenant very, uh, you know, dear. And I would never do anything to make Max uncomfortable and or not try to um, find common ground with a person that's caring for my son. That would make no sense to anyone. It wouldn't behoove anyone to do that. Yeah, so, and because what I know about you is, um, you know, you're Jonah's second wife and you helped raise his other kids. So you kind of understand that perspective. Um, oh. Yeah, absolutely. So for, I mean, for 
you know, since uh, Max's brother and sister were very little, I was a um, co-parent with with um, his first wife, and their health and their happiness and their safety was, you know, one of the first the first priority, as as I believe, in my opinion, should be in a blended family. And so, I am. It was really shocking to me to be to be vilified in the press, and I've never seen a woman who has lost a son be so vilified, and it, it makes me pause and wonder why. Um, it was a huge red flag. And then, you know, what's uh, Rebecca's relationship with your son? Well, I think um, I think it was good. I, I obviously wasn't, you know, present to see it. Okay, so when we're talking about Rebecca's relationship with little Maxie, she has been tracking how he's been doing at the hospital. She's been checking in, and she also calls detectives. So this is that voicemail that you heard earlier, and I want to play the full thing for you. So this is a voicemail that Rebecca left for Detective Atkins at Coronado PD, and you kind of get the sense of, of how concerned Rebecca is. Take a listen. Hi, Detective Atkins. It's Rebecca with Shack Nine regarding Little Maxfield Shack Nine. Um, we are, he's still in the intensive care unit, but he has been calling through so far. Everything looks stable. Um, they are going to run another CT scan this afternoon. Um, so, uh, as of right now, we, we are very, very hopeful. Um, I know that I have promised to, um, so you hear that voicemail and you hear how composed Rebecca is. Well, that kind of contradicts anyone saying that she is absolutely 100% distraught, which would be the reason why she commits suicide. Do you think that she was suicidal after the incident with Max? So I didn't. I didn't have any um, any interaction with her at all um, uh, from the time that uh, the incident occurred. I didn't have any interaction, and I was really shocked when Jonah came into the hospital room on Wednesday morning and. He came in. And he was silent. He sat to talk to to look at Max. Max's EEG just went way up, as though he knew someone was in the room. And there was a tension in the air. And then Jonah got up and said, "I've got to go." And I said, "Where are you going?" He said, "I've got to leave right now." And I said, "Where? Where?" And he started to walk out. I said, "What could possibly be more important? Are Max's brother and sister okay? What's going on?" And then, as he was at the door to the uh, ICU, he said, "Rebecca committed suicide." And I just remember looking at him thinking, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. What, but but why? Why would she do that? And he ran out, ostensibly, to go back to the, to the uh, house. And I was very shocked. I mean, there would be no reason at all that I could see. I mean, Max was going to be fine. Um, from all in, that, in my perspective, with everything that I knew and what I'd been told, there would be no reason. So that was just, it was bewildering. Um, and then when he arrived back and I sort of said to him, like, what, what happened? And then he made this motion of, you know, putting 
like a stabbing motion to his stomach and looked at me and said, you know, Asian honor. And that just floored me because I did not understand how that fit in with anything. What does that mean, do you think? Well, that's a great question. Um, I looked at him and I was, again, I was so stunned. And, and if you can imagine, I'm sitting with my son. I've been, you know, in the hospital, you know, the enti- almost the entire time. And um, I was there during the nights and Jonah was there, you know, he would come during the day and I would come in the afternoon until the, until the next morning. But, you know, it was, you know, I guess the idea of being Asian honor, meaning she couldn't live with what had happened, but that didn't make any sense because when you think about a boy having a cardiac condition, long QT syndrome, which he had a, and he had a cardiac workup for this exact condition, we didn't even get the results of Max's, um, that the cardiac uh, workup, nor the MRI uh, until Wednesday evening. So we hadn't gotten any negative news about Max's prognosis. So this, it was really shocking. And right after he did it, I remember the, the physicians came in to round. But I was just stunned. Well, Rebecca's family doesn't think that she committed suicide either. They don't they don't even think that she was capable of doing this. And they hired their own experts and their own attorneys. And recently, they filed civil lawsuit against Adam Shacknai, and that is the brother of Jonah Shacknai. He was the one staying in the guest house. He would find Rebecca's body, he would cut her down and call 911. lot of people have questions about Adam and you know you knew Adam quite well probably for what six seven years um what's your impression of him how long how long did you know Adam I knew Adam um for almost 11 11 years um so quite a long time he would um he had he had exceptional boundaries he would come with his parents or meet us for holidays well-read um a writer cerebral uh, he, you know, I never saw a display of temper. He and Jonah had a, you know, like like two teenage boys relationship that like that, um, sort of teasing and joking one, with one another. I have a very hard time with this idea. In fact, I, I just don't, I don't espouse or believe the idea that Adam was responsible for Rebecca's death. And I don't believe that he was a sexually motivated assault. I, I just don't know where that came from. And I have been very vocal about that. Um, it, it, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if people want 
us to believe that somehow behind his brother's back, when Max, in fact, was getting better, I mean, Max actually, the medical records showed that Max was fighting the respirator on Tuesday, which is an improvement. Why in the world would Adam Shackney, you know, uh, uh, carry out a sexual assault behind his brother's back with his, you know, brother's girlfriend and, and do some, such a thing? without Jonah's knowledge and, you know, while Max is in the hospital, you know, fighting for his life. That doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't make any sense. And, and, you know, the sheriff's department did say that she was not um, sexually abused um, before all of this. That was part of their findings. Um, What do you think happened to Rebecca Zaha? Well, so, well, I, we were sued for this, which was another horrible shock. Um, But when I saw the photographs of Rebecca... I, I was, it was sickening, and I didn't believe that she she killed herself. I, you know, I, I believe that Rebecca's death was a result of a homicide, and so and it was a very unpopular, you know, view for me to take. Apparently, with my attorneys, but my values, my principles, my ethics, everything said to me that's you know this is not what it this is not a suicide. From everything that I could read, all the documents, and we were only entitled to them via discovery. And even that was very slow going. But I don't believe that, that Rebecca uh, committed suicide. I believe she was the victim of a homicide as well. And, you know, another thing that I wanted to ask you directly and have you clear up, because, you know, there's been a lot of things in the news about this, too. Um, there was a, a sighting of a woman that may have looked like you just hours before Rebecca uh, supposedly committed suicide or whatever happened to Rebecca. Who was that? Do you know? And why were they there? That's a great question. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, this there is a man. His name is Jim Hagar, and I was apparently apparently he is the alleged eyewitness. So um, I'll just back, give you a background on this. My on on Tuesday, the cardiac the just a little side note. The cardiologist came in and said to me, "Do you have any information about?" any symptoms that might have occurred prior to the uh, heart attack. And I said, I wasn't with Max. He was with his father. So he said, if you have any information that would help us very much in ruling out this long QT syndrome, was there any, you know, symptoms that led up to it? So I, excuse me, spoken to my sister. I explained this to her. And she said that, you know, she would, she could, Rebecca had picked her up. And Nina said, well, I could go down there and, or I could text her and ask. And I said, that would be great. Um, And Nina said she didn't get a response. And that was at 9.41, by the way, not 10.41. Um, so she walked down there, and she was with her son and a friend of mine uh, who was staying at the my house. And she walked down there, and on the way, she saw a man on a bicycle. They passed one another. She said she, you know, walked up um, to the house. There was, it was dark. She walked sort of around. She saw one light on, but there was no response. She walked home, and she was back. And uh, both my friend um, and her son were there. So this, the next day, this man came to the scene, apparently, and he said he'd seen a woman walking near the house. And Nina had already told the police that she had, you know, walked up there. So he describes, he, he picked Nina out of a, I guess they gave him a photo, array of six photographs. He picked her photo. That was it. And he went home. Eight hours later, this Mr. Hagar uh, came back and insisted, no, I saw Nina Shackney. And they said, well, you, you said you identified Nina Romano. Well, I saw Dina Shackney. And this goes on and on. 
So then he changes his his eyewitness account and says, I saw a woman with long black dark hair. And first of all, my hair was cut very short at the time. I had a bob. No one had seen it, but it was in a ponytail in the hospital. And um, and he so after eight hours to come back and change your story. And he never said he saw two people. He saw he said he saw one. And that was just pretty shocking. I don't know why Mr. Hagar would make up a story at the end of he was never deposed. And we tried to depose him, and there was something about Texas state law that prevented us from doing it in a timely fashion. He was the sole reason I was left in this lawsuit for as long as I was. So based on a false eyewitness account. And it is um, – I, I don't understand why he would do that. What would motivate him to do that? Who would motivate him to do that? That seems the most – the strangest, you know, uh, dastardly thing someone – could do to another person um and i don't know why but at the end there's something called the belize report that there was you know this investigator apparently went to speak to him his last account is that he saw someone between five feet and six feet tall 100 and 200 100 to 200 pounds who was non-caucasian with long hair pulled back up in a ponytail but who was definitely non-caucasian i mean it's ridiculous so this man, his, work, his, his he lacks any credibility. He was never deposed, and his statement changed over time. And he came back, you know, eight hours after his first absolute identification and changed his story completely. And there's video footage that puts me at the hospital all night, and in particular when this man said that I was ostensibly there. It's about 10, I believe he said about 10.30. I was in the hospital room with Jonah and doctors consulting about Max. And there are medical notes, specific medical notes that put me there at 10.37 p.m. because they had a conference and they noted it in their medical records. So his account is simply a lie. And I don't know why he would come back eight hours later and change his, um, under what pressure or, and what his motivations were. And another thing that I find underreported is um, there was someone else staying at the mansion around that time. And what else happened um, at at the mansion? Was there anything else unusual? Well, I know that they had um, I know that they had gotten another uh, defense dog um, uh, named Zeus. And Max told me the night that on that Sunday night before our five facts with Max that Zeus had to go back and that they were returning him, which was unusual. But I know that there were two men there staying at the guest house, ostensibly, um, in quotes, training the dog. So and when I saw photographs of the guest house, I saw wine glasses. I saw all kinds of things. And I saw his... um, uh, brochure, and it's strange that no one ever reached out to them and and questioned them or asked them anything about this because there were two people who were staying there who had would have had you know run of the property who were never even interviewed or questioned. Yeah, and wasn't there a report that um, there was possibly a break in or something? There was a report, and this came out you know years later well it didn't come out we actually we we really got this information piecemeal we got little pieces and i I know that there are different departments working with this there's the coronado pd san diego sheriff's department there's the california department of justice and then i as i understand it the fbi had our tapes that's you know according to keith greer that's where he said he got them 
so I'm not you know that that's kind of also another you know mystery to me but um uh we understood from tapes that there was a neighbor who spoke to another neighbor and relayed that in fact the night the night before max's incident that the house was all busted up and in a shambles july 13 2011 it's 10 15 hours i'm in a residence uh two doors to the North, north of the, the uh, scene, and I'm sitting at a uh, kitchen table inside the residence with uh, Agent Sonia Ramos, Ramos, sorry, <laughs> and what's your first name? Susan. Susan. Um, as I said before I turned on the tape recording, I'm interested in any knowledge you have of the persons that's two doors down from you that live at that house, um, activity at that house, the children of the house, anything you know, and anything specifically within the last, I would say, 24 hours of any suspicious nature. That the night before, someone had reported that a bunch of Tongan, Tongans were in the house, and someone had walked to the front What's door. A Tongan? As in Samoan, Tongan. Oh, okay. Um, and that it was really rowdy, so that would have been Sunday night. And he said, someone walked to the door, and I, I don't know when, and looked inside, and it was just a shambles. Like, everything was busted up. I don't know. That's just what he told me. So That was Sunday that night? That was Sunday night. But, so, the question about who was there the night before, I think it's a really important question that hasn't even been, it hasn't even been touched upon. So, when people make this assumption that, hey, here, here, here are the potential, the potential you know, um, malefactors or suspects or whatever, no one has even looked at these other incidents that I think are very atypical and deserve attention. And then, and you can't, I mean, law enforcement must know. They must know. And these are some of the, the things that you want looked into, which is the reason why you want the case reclassified um, as, as not an accident, correct? Well, absolutely. I mean, I, and, you know, I believe Rebecca deserves justice, and I believe Max deserves justice. Just because Max is a little person doesn't mean he doesn't have just as much right to to justice and to the truth as she does. I think there's been a lot of, you know, interest about Rebecca's death, and, you know, her family has, you know, been very diligent um, about this. And I would say that, you know, for most people, they want to accept at face value that there was an in quotes accident. Max was a careful boy, you know. He, he certainly didn't go running off for no reason, off a banister, um, thoughtful. He was very cerebral. If anything, he was, he was more on the cautious side. And I absolutely believe that both cases deserve attention. If people want to find out what, what happened to Rebecca, why are they not looking at what happened to Max? Because it seems to me that that triggered some series of events or even the, the date the night before, which would be, have been Sunday. And there are witness accounts from the neighbors. So, the police took those accounts. They have them. And it was after some degree of really searching that we came upon them because I have, you know, researched and done a lot of legwork on this case for, you know, I was being sued, obviously. Um, so that was a huge motivator for me. Um, and if, so I believe both cases deserve to be reopened. And I, I don't understand why people wouldn't give as much attention to the death of a six-year-old boy who is an innocent, beautiful, amazing, you know, child um, and are so I don't know why they're so willing to write it off as an accident. It would have, would, it would have been impossible, given his injuries. It's, it was just not possible. 
Well, you know, um, not many reporters have talked to Jonah, and I actually um, called him up, and I talked to him for a little bit of time. It was a very brief phone call, but I know that you listened to the summary of it in episode one, and what's your what's your takeaway? Is 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 that how he normally is? I mean, was he more vocal about about his son's death before? Um, what what's your takeaway on that? No, he was not vocal about Maxie's death. Um, in fact, I asked him if he would help um, after Max died, which was probably the biggest shock in my entire life. I never in a million years thought Max wasn't going to walk out of that hospital. In fact, just as a side note, on Friday when the machines sort of went, went flat, his EG went flat, I thought the machine was broken. And so I was in his room saying, the machine's broken, and I was kind of shaking it, and then I went out to the hallway saying, the machine is broken, help, the machine is broken, please, and and, and nobody looked at me, and, and I was very weird, and I said, you know, the machine is broken, we need help in this room, and people were just looking at the floor, and I, I, I didn't even understand, like, I didn't even understand what had what was happening, because it was not even in my cognitive schema that that could be possible. So, so to your question, which I deviated from, you know, after that, I was so stunned when I asked Jonah, probably in October, could we hire experts together and find out what in the world happened? Because they came back and said Max did not have a cardiac condition. He did not have long QT syndrome, meaning there was no heart attack that, pre- that precipitated this. I asked him, um, and could we, could we you know, engage these people together, these forensic experts, and he declined. So... You know, I know that there was probably other concerns and considerations with Metasys, um, um, but for me, Max was, you know, so central in my life. I love him today as much as I loved him then, more than anything, and I couldn't just continue as though, he, you know, he, he that was it. it. It was too big of a, a discrepancy between what I was told and the fact that you leave at the end of the week with just your child's clothing in a bag was the worst soul-searing, hellish nightmare experience you could ever have. Um, to that point, um, and for the listeners, Metasys is the company that uh, Jonah worked for. And also, you know, we're not criticizing him. Everyone just, you know, grieves differently. But focusing on you, Dina, um, and I hear it in your voice, what is it like for the mother of a child who passes away in such a public setting this has been all over all these shows what is your life like for this i think i wouldn't wish this journey on anyone i think this has been it was it's been surreal i cannot be, it's almost like i'm in dis, i'm still in disbelief at some level when i look back at everything that's happened um, I could never have imagined, ever. I mean, and you think this happened in a place, you know, right next to Del Coronado, at the height of busy season. And 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 so Max dying in the grief and he had a whole life ahead of him and I loved him so much. And, and then to have this so public and then to have all these, uh, you know, half-truths and or, you know, and... and given such ridiculous explanations and then to have been sued and then to have this so public it's been in every way for my life first missing max was was just horrific and it still is i mean i have pangs of when i wake up and i you know he would have been 14 and 
and I, you know, there's that's his loss you never really, you know, fully entirely get over. Um, and then to have your life ripped apart after that and be vilified and then be sued for for something, you know, that you know that you know that you're completely innocent of is it's like a feeling of powerlessness. I mean, my career, my reputation, every area of my life that you can possibly imagine has been, you know, was all shredded. So uh, I guess what I would say is I'm I'm it's a, I'm proud that I'm still standing <laughs> Uh, that's something significant, but it's been a horrific t- uh, nightmare. If it was one dark night of the soul, um, but I every day when I wake up, I have a picture of Winston Churchill and Max Maxie Shackney, and I look over and think to myself, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you know do it. So I the strength that I the strength of my love for Max is what helps me to to persevere. But I've never seen any mother vilified in the press after losing a son. And the question remains, why? Uh, you mentioned, you know, he would have been 14. His 14th birthday is coming up. And I know that you celebrate his birthday every year. Um, how else do you keep him alive? You also mentioned the foundations. How can we get involved? Well, um, thank you for asking. And, um, and that's a bright spot um, in Maxie's honor. Um, you can go to our our Facebook page, maxieshouse.org, and we are redoing our website. But our the mission is to protect the physical safety and emotional well-being of children who live in two homes. And when we first announced this, we had such an amazing response from the community all over the country, in fact, because I think it's something that many people, many people uh, struggle with. And so the idea is not to blame anyone, but just to improve the lens through which we see the world of child safety. And so it's really just, it's a positive, you know, forward-looking, creative way to, a prophylactic measure to prevent, you know, to, to protect the safety of children. Um, so you can visit us on our Facebook page, and, and we will give updates about our, our new website. Um, and I think in his honor, that's what he would want. Um, he, his smile, and when I think about him in the stories, and just his, his, great person his this big person this big personality in this little person's body he was just so amazing he's he's with me you know every day really um in that way so that's been something that has given me tremendous strength and that is dr dina shacknai opening up for the first time in a long time about the case and her son's death her son who would be 14 years old Now, as for the San Diego County Sheriff's Office, they handled the investigation. They say the case is closed, considered an accident. Rebecca's case, considered a suicide. We'll keep you posted. I want to thank you for listening to True Crime Deadline. Please subscribe, tell a friend, and also reach out if you have a case that you'd like to have featured. TrueCrimeDeadline.com Investigators, until next time. Thank you for investigating True Crime Deadline with Matt Johnson. For more information about the podcast, visit truecrimedeadline.com. And remember, all tips regarding a case should go to the police. Until next time.